Now, last week, I wasn't with you, but I was with you. I listened to the message. We learned there are three ways the New Testament completes the sentence, the Son of Man came. And if you were here, you can probably answer these. You might have been able to answer them before they were even said. First, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as ransom for many. Second, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And finally, the Son of Man came eating and drink, has come eating and drinking. By way of review, the first two statements are statements of purpose. Why Jesus came. The third statement is a statement of method. How Jesus came. Now, in, in the book of Luke, we say, see that Jesus came eating and drinking. He was either coming from a meal, going to a meal, or at a meal. Now, we're not saying that meals are a doctrine. We're not, we're not, we don't want to make them something they are not. But that said, meals create a great setting and environment to live out and unpack the doctrine of the Bible. They certainly did for Jesus, and they can for us today. So today we're going to talk about the part meals played in the life and ministry of Jesus in Luke 5. You can turn there with me. More specifically, we're going to talk about the role of meals as enacted grace. So turn with me to Luke 5. Uh, we're going to be in verses 27 through 39. And in case I've gotten you in a sleepy mode, would you please stand with me as we proclaim God's word? If you're able, please stand with me. Okay, Luke 5, 27. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Verse 33. And they said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers and do so. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, desires new, for he says, this, the old is good. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true. We thank you that we have the ability to proclaim it, to uh, just have it transform our lives. We pray that the Spirit would do that today for each of us. Let us have ears to hear. Let those who don't have ears to hear today, let them be transformed by your glorious gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. All right, so first thing that happens, Jesus calls Levi. After he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, he said to him, follow me, leaving everything. He rose and followed him. Isn't that an awesome picture? Just standing here at his tax booth, Jesus says, follow me, drops it all and goes. Boy, if we had that heart for Jesus some days. But let's put things in context here. Just prior to this in the book of Luke, Jesus had called the first of his disciples, a few fishermen, Simon, Peter, James, and John, who would become some of his closest friends and confidants. 
as scandalous as it was for Jesus to say he was Lord and ask them to follow him, at least these were the good old Jewish boys, right? The Pharisees at least saw them as part of the club. They're in the Israel club, at least. Then Jesus goes on after that to touch and heal a leper, telling him, go show the high priest that you've been healed. Think about this. Jesus touches a leper. Does he get leprosy? No, not only does he not get leprosy, he takes it away. We'll talk about that more later, so store that one up in the back of your mind. Finally, he goes on to do something even greater in the midst of the people. He tells a paralytic that his sins are forgiven and heals him. This was blasphemy in the eyes of the Pharisees because Jesus was saying he had the power to forgive sins. Healing was one thing, but to say you forgive sins is a whole other. Who, can, who is that saying that he can forgive sins? They would say, it's God alone that can forgive sins. But as bad as that was, because that was bad in their eyes, Jesus now takes it to even the next level. He now comes to a tax collector named Levi and says, follow me. Levi drops everything to follow Jesus. Now we'll talk about the implications of Jesus inviting this particular man into his kingdom in a moment. But Levi makes a great feast. He's pretty excited about this. A large company of tax collectors and others come. But the Pharisees don't like it, do they? So Levi made him a great feast in this house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Levi had some good news to celebrate, the best news in the world. So he threw a party. Small aside, Christians, Christians ought to be the biggest party animals out there. We have much to celebrate. Who was it that decided we were to be a bunch of sour-faced, somber, wet blankets? Whose idea was that? You and I were dead in our trespasses and sins. Think that, Let that soak in for a second. Dead in our trespasses and sins, following the prince of the power of the air on our way to eternity apart from God. Then two of the best words in the Bible appear, but God. And it changed everything, didn't it? It changed your disposition. It changed who you were. It changed where you were going. Ephesians 2, 4 says it this way, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. That, my friends, is worth throwing a mega party that all the neighbors can hear. Levi knew who he was. He knew who Jesus was and what Jesus had done for him. This was a cause for celebration and a cause for telling others. Levi wanted to throw a party to celebrate Jesus, celebrate what he had done, and share this awesome gift of grace with his fellow tax collectors and other friends in his circles. The Pharisees didn't believe this was something to celebrate. Notice that Luke says there was a large company of tax collectors and others, yet the Pharisees say to Jesus, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? There was a big party, and Jesus was hanging with the worst of the worst by choice. This is one heck of a party. So what's the big deal? Why are they so uptight? The problem here is not with the party. The Pharisees knew God's kingdom was a party. They knew it. They celebrated. If you look back at history, the Jews celebrated. The Pharisees knew it was going to be a party. Their objection was more the guest list. Who was on the guest list of this party? Tax collectors and sinners. 
Look, at some level, we can all probably agree that we struggle with liking the IRS and the tax man. Every month, I get this little auto withdrawal out of my account and go, all right, I don't like you. Okay, it's another story. Tax collectors and Jews were, were Jews who worked for the Roman government. In most cases, they not only collected taxes, but they slid a little extra in their pocket, in the government's pocket. So they were corrupt, crooked. In the eyes of the Pharisees, they were the worst. They were traitors, not just to the people, to the nation is the way they saw them. And they were traitors to God by that trade, being traitors to the nation. They were God's enemies. And here they are. Here these guys are partying with God's Messiah. They're partying with the guy claiming to be God. God is sitting down and eating with his enemies. That's what the way they saw this event. Now, to see how scandalous this is, we need to appreciate the role meals played in the culture of that day. Um, New Testament scholar Scott Barchi says it like this. It would be difficult to overestimate the importance of table fellowship for the cultures of the Mediterranean basin in the first era, century of our era. Mealtimes were far more than occasions for individuals to consume nourishment. Being welcomed at the table for the purpose of eating food with another person had become a ceremony richly symbolic of friendship, intimacy, and unity. Thus, betrayal or unfaithfulness toward anyone with whom had shared the table was viewed as particularly reprehensible. On the other hand, when persons were estranged, a meal invitation opened the way to reconciliation. Levi invites all of his tax collector buddies to the feast. He wants them to experience the same grace that he experienced in meeting Jesus. He wants to return a measure of grace to Jesus as well by inviting him to the table with him. Now let's take a moment to think about how beautiful this is. Let's make it personal. Do you recall when you first met Jesus? Think back. Maybe it was six weeks ago. Maybe it was six years ago. Maybe it was 60 years ago. Do you remember how zealous you were to tell others about his saving grace when you came to know Jesus? You wanted to hang out with those people so much and so often that you just wanted them to meet the very Jesus that transformed your life. You wanted that same thing for them. You desperately wanted them to experience the very same thing God had done for you. Fast forward. You've been a Christian for two, five, ten, maybe even 20 years. Have you moved from a place of hanging out with sinners to a place of hiding with the saints? Say that again. Have you moved to a place of hanging out with the sinners to a place of hiding out with the saints? Have we migrated our lives to a holy huddle that is shielded from sinners so we don't get stained by their dirt? It's very easy for us to forget where we came from. Very easy. This is not to say we don't spend time in fellowship with other fellow believers. That's not to say that at all building one another up in the faith, but we can't, that can't be the sum total of our walk and our faith. If it's those who are far off from Christ that need us to reach out to them. These could be the poor and marginalized who may think they're not worthy of being sought by God. Could be the self-righteous who think they have no need for a Savior or anything in between. You know, Jesus explains it, that he, he eats and drinks with sinners because it is those who are sick who need a physician. Verse 31, and Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Dining with Jesus is like going to a doctor and receiving soul medicine. I got that from Jeremiah. Not, that's not an original, but outside of the occasional checkup, think about your own life with doctors. Most of us don't go to the doctor 
or call the doctor to come to us when we're healthy, right? You know, you're not feeling perfectly well and you go, hey, doc, can you make a house call? Do they even make those anymore? Don't know. It's when we're sick as a dog, we call on a doctor for healing or medication. Some of us are really tough when it comes to sickness. But when something like the flu hits, even the toughest of us a lot of times are like, all right, give me drugs, give me antibiotics, give me something, and give me healing and quick. Now, when, Jesus, when, when we share a meal with Jesus, it's like going to the doctor and receiving soul medicine. That's what Levi and his friends would find out. They would discover the one thing that would give them lasting and eternal satisfaction. Everything else is temporary. They discovered what was eternal. Jesus said he did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In the case of the Pharisees, they were not truly righteous. They were self-righteous. In other texts in the Gospels, Jesus would say they were like whitewashed tombs. They were clean on the outside, but inside they were just full of death and dirt. It's amazing to me that God chose a people for himself, think about this, to be witnesses to the Gentile nations. That's who God created in Israel. So they could see their example as followers of God and how quickly the people decided to become exclusive, not wanting the other nations to partake in God's grace. We got something good here. We don't want to dilute it. Before we rise up against the Pharisees, too much though, I know we're all ready to go lynch the Pharisees, should they be around. How many of us are going to those outside of our self-created nation? Have we created our own little Israel that excludes the marginalized, the poor, and those so wicked they must be outside of God's grace? How many of us would have looked at the Apostle Paul in his pre-salvation state as a murderer of Christians and said, I'm going to go share Christ with that guy? Think about it. How many people have you sized up and said, not worth my time to invest because they're so far outside of Christ to, to say that we were any less far outside of Christ? Sure, we may have had more I's dotted and T's crossed and looked more godly, but we were just as far outside of Christ as the worst of sinners. We were the worst of sinners. Paul would say that about himself. The people in our workplaces, our neighborhoods, and our schools need the soul medicine offered by the soul Dr. Jesus Christ. Ask God to give you a genuine love for these people because if you treat people like inanimate evangelistic targets, smart people are going to see through that. Smart people, if, you, if you're treating them like a notch on my belt, look who I got to come to church Sunday. People see through that. Ask God to give you a genuine love for those outside of his kingdom. So Jesus goes on in verse 33 to explain why his disciples don't fast. And they said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. Now, Jesus refers to himself as the bridegroom, who in the Old Testament was the Lord. That's who the bridegroom was. For thousands of years, the Jews would wait for their Messiah. Finally, he had come. This was not the time to fast. Jesus was here. This was a time to rejoice, celebrate, and just know that Jesus was there. Jesus was talking about his death, and he would say, hey, there's plenty of time to fast when I'm gone. When I'm gone, you will return to this practice of fasting. The practice of fasting was to seek the presence of God, and he was right there with them. They didn't need to seek it. He was right there. Grace was right in front of their face. Grace turns everything upside down on its head. When Jesus came, something new had come. With the coming of Jesus came a new covenant in grace. Jesus did not try to fit this new covenant of grace into the old covenant. 
Although the new covenant of grace was a fulfillment of the old covenant, it turned the old covenant on its head. Let's read verses 36 to 39. He he also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new and the piece from the from the new will not match the old, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins, and no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says the old is good. God is doing something new in this case. So new it doesn't fit into, into any of the old categories. God is doing something so gracious that it takes everyone, sinners and self-righteous alike, by surprise. Let's go back to, to Luke 5, 12 through 15 when Jesus touches the leper. I told you to store that one up. Normally, if you did that, you became unclean, right? You touch a leper, you become unclean. Even if you didn't get leprosy, you were unclean, ceremonial. But instead of Jesus becoming unclean, the leper becomes clean. Is this not such a picture of what Jesus does? This is God's grace in action, folks. God's grace welcomes the outcast and brings transformation. Suddenly, it isn't uncleanness that's contagious. That's how it was in the old Levitical system. If you touched anything unclean, you became unclean. But with Jesus, it's his holiness that's contagious. The Pharisees' party invitations would have only gone out to those who they thought were righteous. would have been a short list. You and I would have never gotten an invitation to that party. We'd be sitting out on the sidelines. Jesus hands out invitations to the kingdom party, and you know what they say? You're invited. Come as you are, blemishes, warts, stains, sin and all. Come. Come to the party. So what are some implications of what grace has done to flip things upside down? First of all, we've been invited to come as we are to the table and extended the ultimate grace in salvation. This guarantees us a seat at the Lamb's Supper table when we were with Him in glory, and that's an awesome truth right there. Secondly, we are instruments of grace to those apart from Christ. We can't just bask in our own glory. We need to, we're instruments of grace to those outside of Christ. We're to invite them to the Lamb's table and, and more practically, more literally, to our table. Invite them to our table. A little self-examination time when it comes to your life, my life. Do we have a, ask yourself these questions, really search. Do we have a genuine love and burden for those who are outside of Christ? Does your heart break for those outside of Christ? Or have you filled your life with so many things that you don't have time or the mental capacity for your heart to break for those who don't know Jesus? Are we inviting people from outside of the faith into our meals and open time slots in our lives? Think that one through for a second. Do we even have any time outside of personal pursuits and our time within the church body to pursue mission? Are we living on mission? Now look, the reality is you can and should spend time with people in the body of Christ and those outside of the faith at the same time. This is possible, believe it or not. We are saved individually, but we are not saved to individualism. We are part of a body called the church. You can't do it alone. We can engage with the unbelieving world as groups of people, believe it or not. We need to have our eyes and ears open for how God is working around us. There's a little phrase I learned during my short time with CP Coast in 2011-12, redemptive listening. I don't know if you've ever been thrown that phrase. We need to be listening with our spiritual ears open for everyday encounters. We need to be thinking about how we connect God's beautiful story to the story people are living every day in Brevard County 
and, and the surrounding areas. You know, a couple of weeks ago, just to give you an example, Tracy and I were dining at, a, at the bar of one of our favorite establishments in Williamsburg, a little place called Craft 31. A gentleman named Lincoln sat down two seats from, from me and ordered, ordered a drink and a hamburger, ordered the same exact thing I did, and the bartender poked fun at that, that we were like soulmates or brothers, that we ordered the exact same thing. Like, my wife's right here, so. But, well, based on that, that was a time to begin a great conversation. Because, you know, I, I wasn't thinking of, of Lincoln as some evangelistic target. I was thinking of Lincoln as a dude sitting two seats down from me that I wanted to get to know. Well, what I discovered during this conversation is Lincoln hated Williamsburg. Uh, if you don't know this about Williamsburg, it's not a place with much nightlife. We have the College of William and Mary, but they're, they're not all that fun, and they're not... <laughs> They're a very stuffy crowd. So everything shuts down by 10 if you're lucky. If it's a slow night, maybe 8. So Lincoln was this young 30-something guy, single guy, wanted nightlife, wanted to do stuff. You know, that was not a meal we intended to share together, but we ended up sharing this meal together. And it ended with Lincoln and I exchanging info, me thinking about, as I learned some of his interest, wow, this guy would really love to hang out with this guy in my group, so... Guess what? Lincoln's invited to a party at my house to just celebrate life. And so, you know what? Hopefully, the next time Lincoln comes to a meal, maybe Lincoln will encounter the gospel. Maybe Lincoln will encounter the transforming power of Jesus Christ. Now, back to the statement, don't institutionalize what can be embodied. You and I are instruments of grace. Think of yourself as an instrument of grace. Don't you sound so much more useful then when you, when you think of yourself that way? At Grace Point, we're teaching and training our people to simply invite people into their lives. Nothing different from what I learned here. Shared meals, sporting events, to the mundane, everyday things of life. Statistics for Williamsburg, James City County, where we minister, as I said at the beginning, suggest that more than 60% of people claim no religious affiliation. All the brick buildings and steeples in town, that really surprised me. Of the remaining 40% who claim no religious affiliation, I can say with some level of confidence that probably half or more of them are outside of Christ. That tells me 80-some thousand people within a 15-minute drive of my home don't know Jesus Christ as Savior. My guess is you have similar statistical things down here in Brevard County. The days of growing up inside the church are over. Let's just face it, Christendom is dying if not already dead. The front door of our homes... And the local restaurants is the front door of the church. That is where those outside of Christ will likely encounter one of us first. You know, I tell our people at Grace Point all the time, if I look into a crowd this size, I would love to see that 50 to 75% of those people did not know Jesus Christ before they knew one of us and encountered one of us in our homes or at a meal somewhere. Folks, the front door of this church body is in Vieira, Rockledge, Melbourne, West Melbourne, Palm Bay, Merritt Island, the beach, and probably some other places that I have forgotten about. Grace must abound in our own lives and in our homes first and foremost, though. People must see us treasuring Christ and treasuring one another. That's what we want to see. So let's pray today that God would just use our homes and our lives as the front door of this church. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for what you're doing in Cross Point Coast, 
In Brevard County, we know there are hopes to impact the surrounding counties as well. The state of Florida, the nation, and the nations. I pray that you would give the people in this body a heart for the lost, that they would take their meals and redeem the time during those meals, redeem the time when they're listening to those outside of the faith, that they would just be instruments of grace so that people would come to meet Jesus just as Levi came to meet Jesus and Levi's friends, ultimately, some of them would come to know Jesus. We thank you in his mighty name. Amen. All right, well, we've reached a time point in our service where we're going to respond to the word that was proclaimed in song, in prayer, and in teaching. Um, we respond through giving financially, you see the boxes on the table, and through communion. Jesus is preparing a table, a table feast for the people in his kingdom right now. And through coming to the Lord's table for communion, we get to be part of that right now. We don't have to wait for the table feast in the kingdom. We get a foretaste of this kingdom meal each time we come together for communion. As followers of Christ, we have a table right in front of us today, folks. This table in front of us is symbolic of the grace brought forth by the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. Those who are trusting in Christ get the privilege of coming together for this meal around this table. Now, if on the other hand today, if you haven't trusted Christ with your salvation and eternity, there's not, nothing magic about the bread and juice on these tables. This meal is not for you right now, but do you know what is for you right this very moment? The gospel is for you. This is a time for you to reflect on the person and work of Jesus Christ, this very Jesus Christ that came to Levi and said, I want you to be part of my kingdom. Reflect upon the fact that Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. A perfect sacrifice is the only kind God would accept to pay for the sins of his people. Jesus died in place of those who would call on his name. On the third day, he rose from the dead in accordance with the scriptures and ascended into heaven in accordance with the scriptures so that people could do the same and be with him in eternity. Reflect on these things. If you don't know Jesus today, reflect on these things. And don't, don't turn a deaf ear if God's calling you to himself today. God would like nothing more than for you to call, on, call him Father on this Father's Day. He would like nothing more than that. So if you're trusting in Christ, please come to the outside aisles, come to the table and partake. If you're, if you're not trusting in Christ, please just reflect on, on who God is today.